But turn to Acts chapter 1. I want to point out something that I think will be helpful. Did you know that Jesus is here? Jesus came to meet needs. He came to meet needs. We're going to look at that today. The needs, all the needs that Jesus met in this passage, we're going to look at them today. But you know, I think that really what shames us is whenever we find out that um, in this story, this true story, how the disciples had been to the same city that the woman went to without the same results. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But Acts 1.8, right before he ascended into heaven, right before the Holy Spirit is, comes down on the people, he told them to wait in Jerusalem. He said, now wait for a while until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. But look in verse 8. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea. What's it next? And in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And the way I have heard this taught and preached over and over again is that is four geographical areas that God expects us to concurrently reach with his word. If you'll notice, Jerusalem stands for our city and our town. How many believe we ought to reach our city and our town? There are those that preach, and I've heard it preached, Judea, meaning our state and our our local state where we are. And then we heard the, uh, Samaria, uh, Samaria, our country, United States, and in the othermost part of the earth, the whole world. How many say amen to all that? Amen. I want to pr propose something else. Because in John, Jesus must needs, John 4, 4 says, go through Samaria. Samaria, as we've learned already, it was a despised people. The land was so despicable to the Jews that they would walk around it. They had two different routes they would take in order to avoid going into Samaria. I want to submit to you that I think that we could look not just as these four areas that were given in Acts 1-8 of being geographical areas, and I certainly believe all that. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not, I believe in all that. But what if it believe it actually is listing four people groups for us? What if Jerusalem represents those we know and love? You're Jerusalem. People who I'm familiar with, that I'm comfortable with, that I love, that we have same common interests. We might even pull for the same football team. <laughs> okay, got somebody over here. Well, I'm saying, we're, that's, what, what if Jerusalem is that? What if Judea is those we know about, but, you know, we don't love them as much? They're further away from us. They're not in our circle. They don't, they don't go to the same restaurant. They don't sit on the same pew at church. They don't live in our part of the community. We know them. But we may not love them. What about, what about Samaria, meaning could be a people group that we know about 
And we don't know if we even like them. Uh, how many of you know about a, a Muslim? How many of you know about, you know about Jehovah's Witness? How many of you know about Mormons? You know what we tend to do is shy away from those folks. We look at them as if they're without hope. They've gone too far. But I want to tell you that don't let any people group, just because you're unfamiliar with them a little bit, keep you from praying for them and witnessing for Jesus. And the fourth one, the uttermost part of those we don't know and we don't love and we don't care. What if God is telling us? Because I believe that in Acts 1.8, he said, I'm going to give you the power. I'm going to give you the power to reach those in Jerusalem. I'm, you know, we can't reach this city without the power of God. But come on now. We can market. We've got billboard. I love the billboard. I love that. But you know, that's not going to win people to Jesus. We've got Facebook. We post things on Facebook. We got the, you know, we got Facebook lot. We've got all of that. We've got a website. Did you know we can't reach anybody here in Lebanon without the power of God given to us to do so? We can't reach the people that we love without the power of God to do so. We can't reach Wilson County and the state of Tennessee without the power of God to do so. Did you know that? We can't reach this geography. We cannot do that without the power of God. He said, I, the, ye shall receive power. We've got to have his power. But we can't reach those that we might know, we know, but we, you know, not sure I like them. How many of you got some folks that you've had some rubbed with and you just, you know, and you've kind of watched, you know, come on now. Listen to me. It takes the power of God for you to overcome that to reach them. And I'm saying to you today that Jesus has given us example. We can keep right on going. You get the point. God gives us the power to reach anybody we reach. It's only through the power of Jesus Christ. You're not smart enough. You're not, uh, you're not good enough. You're not uh, friendly enough. I, now, all of that's important. We've got to be smart. Some of us has to be. I'm going to leave that up to Chris. We've got to be smart. We've got to be friendly, but let me tell you something. It's the power of God that does the work of God. He said, but ye shall receive power. And, and if you read Matthew 28, we find out that all power is given unto Jesus. And if Jesus guaranteed us power, you know what I'm saying? We have no reason not to reach our world for Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that right now, I pray that you'd move in our hearts as we hear the word of God this morning. Speak to us, Father. We need you like we've never needed you before. For it's your holy name we pray. Amen. Turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, uh, Jesus said, I must needs, plural, go through Samaria. Plural. Now, can we, we preached already the living water message where we learned that what was needed by the woman was the living water of Jesus Christ. First of all, we know he met the woman's need. Will you agree with me on that? Would you look at verses 14 to 18? It says, But whosoever drinketh the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of, well of water springing up in everlasting life. Have you ever met somebody so full of the power of the Holy Ghost that they just, it's just bubbling over? 
I mean, if you met somebody that you just want to be around them because you knew that they had the power of God on their life and you knew things were going to happen when they were around. Let me tell you something. I want to be that kind of person. Don't you? Don't you want to be the kind of person that has the Word of God, the living Word of God, the power of God, the Holy Spirit of God inside you to the point that people want to, hey, they want to hang out. They want to talk to you. They want to know what you got. And let me tell you something. It changes you from the inside out, that Word, that living water. And that woman received uh, the, I'm so glad that he gave that to you. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to all. Jesus said unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman saith unto, uh, said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast five husbands, whom ye, uh, whom ye, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidest thou truly. Let me tell you something. We all have things in our past. We all have ghosts. We all have things. We don't want anybody to know. But Jesus knows it. And he can meet your need just like he met that, that lady's need. First of all, he met her, with, met her need with living water. But verses 17 and 18 tells us he met, met her with a life change. Did you know when that living water that springs up a well of living water inside of you, that Holy Spirit placed in your heart, when it comes in and changes you, do you know what happens? You can't live the same way you used to live. I was talking to someone today in Sunday school, and they were saying, you know, sometimes I want to make sure I'm on the right side. Because I'd sometimes I, 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 my, my tendency is to sin, but I don't want to sin. I want to do the right thing. Did you know that's a battle all of us go through? Did you know that? But what happens is God is moving and changing. When, the, when you're convicted of sin, you can know that the Holy Spirit's working on your life. You can. How many of you as a Christian, did you done something wrong and the Holy Spirit just really spanked you big time? You ever gone through that? I mean, he made you feel like a dirty dog because you were one. You understand? And I'm telling you, whenever you get the living water inside you, this lady, once she, uh, once she got it, she left her water pot and told the, told the, uh, there at the, at the well and went and told the city, let me tell you something, you're a changed life. I'm concerned about those of us who claim to have this living water, who claim to have this changed life and can't tell nobody. Pardon the grammar. I can't speak. I'm shy. Get over it. I've said that already. And let me tell you something, when you get saved, I mean, you get the Holy Spirit, you say, David, my personality, let me tell you something I don't know about you. She was so uh, ashamed of her lifestyle, she came in the middle of the day when no one else was around. And don't tell you that avoiding people is the right way. He met her need. I'm so glad that Jesus meets the needs of every person in this room. Individually, he knows your need. He knows what's going on. He knows uh, what's, what sin is in your life. And he's saying right now, I will meet that need if you let you. Jesus meets need. Number one, he met the need of the woman's need. But number two, he met the town's need. I must needs go through Samaria. He didn't just go there just for the lady. Now, please understand, I'm so glad. Aren't you glad she got saved? What's her name? You don't know her name, do you? Did you know what? She gets to heaven, they'll call her name. Her name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, amen? And it's, for, it's written there forever. Let me say this, what's your name? I'm David, what's your name? I'm telling you what, whatever your name is, if you're saved, it's in the Lamb's Book of Life. Did you know there might be, you know, I had to get the global entry to get back into the country. Global entry is a fast, pays fast-track re-entry through customs in the United States, in case you don't know. I'll explain this because when Denise and I went uh, uh, to, to on our honeymoon, and uh, I got, they let her through fine. 
But coming back in, they want to talk to me a little more. And they want to check me out. And, and I, they held me back. And my bride had to go. She couldn't stay around. I'm by, oh, by my lonesome. <laughs> and I got through that and started talking. And they finally stamped that thing after I paid them. No, I'm kidding. After um, <laughs> the private guys like that's not a good idea either. But anyway, they said, it's your name. You're, there's somebody by your name that is on our watch list. I thought, well, I hope it's not me, but anyway. <laughs> but what I learned was your name is important. Did you know your name being Lamb's Book of Life is important? And you'll think about it now. This city that she went back to, this town, they needed something. You know what they needed? Look in verse 29. Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? You know what that town needed? Do you know what our Jerusalem needs? Do you know what our Judea needs? Do you know what our Samaria needs? Do you know what our other part of the world needs? It needs a witness. It needs a witness. Jesus Christ, who he is. We, he, this town needed a witness. I'm, I'm amazed this lady that had a, a bad reputation. You, we've, read, we've gone through this, but they needed someone to come tell them about Christ. John 18, 37 uh, says, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was, was I born, for this cause came unto the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Let me tell you what they needed. They needed the, the uh, witness of the truth. Let me say this. When you're here every day, walking around, just in the world, in Lebanon, in Wilson County, wherever you find yourself, even surrounding counties in the state, what this world needs most is a witness. Will you be that witness? You say, David, I, I understand that. They also needed, look at verse 30, they needed a walk. Every witness needs to take a walk with Jesus. Every person that hears a witness needs to take a walk with Jesus. Look in verse 30. And they came out of the city, they went out of the city and came unto him. You know, this morning, I believe that you're hearing a witness here today. You're, you're a person, you may have a need that maybe even the woman has. But do you know, when you hear a witness, you've got to take a walk. You've got to decide, am I going to change the direction I'm headed? I'm walking in this direction. Am I going to repent? And I'm going to take a walk in this direction. Every person that accepts Christ as their Savior has to take a walk to Jesus. You have to turn your back on the world that you've lived in. You've got to turn your back on what you've lived, and you've got to walk to Jesus. Now, it's important that you recognize who he is before you take that walk, before you think you're really going on a walk. You've got to know that, first of all, he is the Christ. He is the Son of God. He is a living Son of God. He is forever seated at the right hand of the Father, and he can save you from your sin. You've got to take a walk with Jesus. They, first of all, had to hear a witness and they had to take a walk. Mark, uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 29 says, Come unto me, 
all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. John 7, 37 says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. You must take a walk to Jesus. When you hear a witness, you've got to know who he is and you've got to know that you've got to get to him. You've got to take a walk to him. You've got to be the one that says, I open my life. Lord Jesus, I invite you in. Holy Spirit, come in and, and save me from my sin. You have to take a walk with Jesus. And verse 42, they had to meet the world changer. Look what happened. They had to take a walk in verse 42. Now said, and said unto the woman, now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves. Boys, this is good. And know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. There's going to come a day in your life and in mine when we personally recognize who Jesus is. That witness gets us started. But you know, I can't live on my grandmother's salvation. I can't get to heaven on my granddad's coattails. I cannot, you understand, my granddad was a preacher. Both my uncles were preachers. My brothers are preachers. I've got every right and every pedigree to say, you know, I'm pretty well off. I think I'll get to heaven on their salvation. That's not going to happen. There's going to come a day when you hear his words and you're going to respond to who he is and you're going to say, we believe because we heard him. Amen. Are you hearing him today? Do you know him personally? Have you done business with Jesus yourself? Have you come one-on-one -on -one with the fact of who Jesus is? Have you accepted that in your heart? Do you believe it? Do you trust him only for your salvation? Because if you haven't, you must take a walk to Jesus. And he is a world changer. He will change your world. He will change it. You'll never be the same. It'll never go back to what it was. You will not be able to change. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus came to save you. Jesus came to save me. Jesus came to save this whole world. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. Let me tell you something. He's looking for you today, and he wants you to come to him and recognize him for who he is, and he will change your world. He certainly changed their world that day. They never expected in a million years to, through this woman's witness, come out and find the Christ, the Savior of the world. But that's exactly who they found. You may be here today thinking, I'm with a girlfriend. I'm with a boyfriend. I'm not here because I'm here, I'm here to really hear anything. Let me tell you, Jesus has you here by his providential will. You're here because you, he wants you to hear the gospel and hear who he is. He met the, the town's need. Secondly, he met the disciples' need. Look in verses 31 and 33. This is where I really want to spend some time. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. Verse 30 says, Then they went out of the city and came to him. Verse 31. In the meantime, while the disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. Let's get the picture. Jesus came into Samaria, got tired, hungry, and weary, and sat on Jacob's well. At noontime, the heat of the day, the woman comes out to him. He is as hungry physically, and because he's all 100% human, 100% God, he's as hungry as any of the disciples are. They went into town to buy food. They went into the same 
town that came to see Jesus to buy food. I, ha I, can't dare, I dare estimate, just please stay with me here for a moment. Can you imagine the person that the store owner that they went to, let's imagine they went to some store owner to buy food or someone had, and they bought, and that man, those people came out from the city and they recognized them in the crowd coming to see Jesus. And they said, Jesus, we're hungry. Verse 31, master, eat. He's just as hungry as they are. And notice what he says. But he said, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Verse 33. Therefore sat his disciples one to another, hath any man brought him aught to eat? I, now these are hand-selected men. It would be like, can I just point at myself? It would be like a pastor a person called of God with God's purpose on his life missing all of this. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a real shame that Jesus is constantly trying to bring these guys along. And here's he saying, listen, I have meat to eat that you know not of. But they said, somebody give him some food? They still don't get it. For you see, they were focused first on on the physical rather than the spiritual. Now, don't criticize them too much. Because how many of us do the same thing? They were, they were more hungry to eat than they were willing to feed. They were, they were more hungry to consume for themselves then they were willing to meet the needs of others. They were more willing to accumulate. They wanted to satisfy their own desires more than they wanted to meet the needs of others. Titus, uh, 2 Timothy 2.4 says, No man that warreth entangle himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. I'm so concerned about the church of the modern day. We are plagued by comfort. We are so spoiled and so self-centered and self-focused that we cannot even look for the spiritual needs of others. Is it because we have needs? There, let me say this. In America, now I know we have poverty and we need to help meet those needs, but let me tell you something. In the church of the, of the living Jesus Christ, you are living in abundance, not in need. We are living in comfort. We're not out, living out of conviction. We're living because we want to be more comfortable. We want a car that we can turn the AC on and it turns on automatically and it's climate controlled. We want to drive to church in that nice leather seated, leather seat car. We want to slide out of there and slide into our favorite parking place 
God forbid a guest would park there. Everybody in the church knows it's mine. And we want to walk in the doors into an air-conditioned room. If it's not air-conditioned, we start texting Brother Chris. We are spoiled to comfort. These disciples went into town, a town that needed to see Christ, a town that needed a witness so they could take a walk and have a world changer get a hold of their life. And they went in, bought their goods, and came out and didn't even recognize them when they came back. How busy are we that we cannot take the time? Now, listen to me. I know you say, David, whoo. Let me tell you something. The disciples needed some help, and he needed to meet their need. He said, focus on the spiritual, not the physical. Then verse 32 said, focus on the harvest versus the food. You realize in verse 32, he said, I have meat to eat that you know not of. And look, notice what happens. He goes on. He said, my meat is to do the will of him, verse 34, that sent me and to finish his work. When you got saved, did God call you to do something? How many of you felt that God had something for you to do when you got saved? How many of you did life didn't have purpose till you got saved? You thought you did. I mean, I, you know, I thought I did. But let me tell you something. When God saved me and called me, that's why I'm a little bit protective about the calling on my life when it comes to being a pastor. Don't talk to me about God not calling me. I'm not the best pastor. I go that. I'm not the best preacher. But let me tell you something. God called me, and I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be faithful to the end. I'm telling you, whenever that comes, I'm going to be faithful. Because I'm telling you, when God calls us, he wants us to make a difference in this world. And I believe he called these disciples. He wanted them to focus on the harvest. Disciples had done business to buy food with the men in the town who, who the, the lady went and told, and they came out to see Jesus. They had no harvest like the woman did. Shame on me. I have talked to preachers. In preacher meetings, you know what preacher meetings are? Usually involves lunch. And it may involve fried chicken. And we sit and talk about our, about our churches. I don't remember how many times I've heard somebody say, I haven't led someone to Jesus in years. And I haven't witnessed in years. I'm a, I'm a preacher. Let me tell you something. Shame on me if I don't do that. The disciples need to learn something. They had a need of understanding they didn't have. And let me tell you something. If we don't do it, if we don't set the bar, if we don't set the example, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm not Christ. So I want you to have your eyes on Jesus. But let me tell you something. There are certain things we preachers all be willing to do. And that's witness for Jesus, win people to Jesus, and preach God's word. And we've got a bunch of professional people out there. They're choosing as a profession rather than a calling. Let me tell you something. You go to colleges nowadays and listen to the graduates preach. Listen to them. Now, I'm not criticizing. Please understand I'm not. But I'm telling you, we have gone to a professionalized pulpit. Not a God-called pulpit. And that's, let me tell you something. I'd rather hear a God-called man that can't put, God, that slays the king's English than somebody up here can say every word and not have God's power on him. Let me tell you, that's how I am. And these disciples need to learn that the town you went in 
Shame on you for not witnessing. Shame on you. You say, David, you're preaching to preach. You're preaching yourself. That's exactly right. But let me tell you something. Aren't you a disciple? I mean, let's just get real technical here. If you're a disciple, you're a follower of Christ. That means you're following someone who teaches you how to live. That's a disciple. How many of you would say, David, I'm a disciple? Then shame on us if we go into town and don't share the gospel. And we're not a witness. Focus on the harvest, not the food. Focus on timing versus the time. Look in verse 35. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. <laughs> Heard someone say that I can't find any lost people. Well, I will say this. I think everybody here at church where I work is saved. Some of you think I'm serious about that. I mean, Troy, you're saved, right? Brandon, you're saved? Chris, you saved? We got all the ladies. You know, we're all saved. So I can't witness so many people at church at my work. But they tell you what, when I go out and I go sit in a restaurant, I can witness somebody there. When I go door to door, I can witness somebody here. You've got to create your opportunities, but let me tell you, they're everywhere. The woods are full of them. All you got to do is get out and ask somebody if they know Jesus. You know, it's, I had someone tell me today, we said, said it in prayer time today, that someone asked them, told a lady she needed to get saved. She didn't know what that meant. Let me tell you something. In Lebanon. Do you understand what I'm saying? People need Jesus. They need it. Focus on timing. See, we, we, uh, we like lunch, lunchtime better than loving time. We'd rather satisfy our own. We'd rather use our time to do what we want to do and accumulate what we want. Because we think it's our time. How many of you can guarantee right now that you're going to be alive tomorrow. Anybody guarantee that? Then is it really your time? Because you're not in control of it. Whose time is it? Jesus. Did you know every day of mine is blessed, is ordered of God? The Bible says it's appointed and a man wants to die. We have an appointment with death. You won't be early and you won't be late. Whenever that is. Praise Jesus, we go to heaven. But let me, our days are numbered. God's already numbered them. Use them for Jesus' sake. Let me tell you, it's John 20, um, uh, 21 says, Then said Jesus, then peace unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. The disciples needed to focus on spiritual versus physical. They need to focus on harvest versus food. And they need to focus on the timing versus the time. But he also need to say, he need to focus on the urgency versus the urgent. The urgency is that people need Jesus. The urgent is whatever you think is important. See, it's urgent. If I, if I have to get something, I have to do something, I have to, it's me, I have to, it's urgent. But the urgency is that people are lost. See, Jesus was just as tired and hungry. We looked at that in verse 6. In verse 8, they were doing what they needed to do. They needed to go into the store and buy food. They had no food. That was a good task. But he then says, listen, you missed it. There is a white, a white ripened harvest for all of us. How many of you say, Brother David, there are more lost people around me now than there was five years ago? There are lost people everywhere. 
And I'm telling you, God is saying to us, we need to focus on them. John 9, 4 said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. Focus on that. Number four, the world's needs. He sees it, we see the disciples' need. We need to see the world's needs. Verses uh, 34, uh, 34 through 39, Jesus saying, Then my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Say not ye, don't you have a saying? There are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. He that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal. Whew, that's good. That both he that soweth, and he that reapeth may rejoice together. I, I want you to see that. See that? Notice that. Verse 30, 38. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored. And ye are entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of the city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that ever I did. Amen. First of all, I want you to see the world's need. They need us to open our eyes and to look. You need to lift up your eyes and look. You know, when we're focused on our things and our time and our desires and our comforts, and we're focused on what we want and what, what we think we need, our eyes are down. We're looking at the world. We're looking at what we can get. We're looking here. But God says, lift your eyes. You've got to lift your eyes to the spiritual needs of this world. Lift your eyes. But then when you lift your eyes, that's one action. That's one thing. You're finally making yourself able to see, and then you look and really see the needs that are there. How many of you see needs in your own hearts and minds? There are two levels of awareness. First of all, you lift your eyes, and, and then, you do, then you look because they're white already to harvest. You need to make sure that you look at these fields. But, you know, we can go through life and never see a lost person. But yet God says they're everywhere. And that's a, that's a really blessed thing. Look in verse 36. It goes, you open your hearts. We need to have open eyes. We need to have open hearts. His heart must be our heart. You'll notice in verse 36, it says at the very end, he that reapeth may rejoice together. Did you know I, uh, how many of you ever witnessed to someone and they didn't get saved? How many of you have ever witnessed to someone and they did get saved? Did you know you probably, don't want to burst your bubble here, you probably didn't have a lot to do with that salvation. It's only in Jesus anyway. But you know what happens is, the Bible says, say ye there's four months to harvest. In other words, when we plant a seed in the ground, we expect that in four months we'll probably reap a, reach a, uh, reap a harvest. It's, it's, it's the natural law of sowing and reaping. You know, the Bible tells us we, if we reap to, to, to sin, we will reap that. I mean, if we sow to sin, we'll reap that. If we sow to righteousness, we'll reap righteousness. So the law of sowing and reaping is, is uh, a universal. It's universal to, to gardening. How many of you like to garden? You know, if you sow a seed, you expect in about four months, you'll reap something. Did you know that when you share the gospel, you're planting a seed? You're planting a seed. You're sowing. The Bible says there's four different grounds that the seed can fall on. We can talk about that. Not going to spend a lot of time with that. But my point is, it's not your job to determine the germination rate. We try to pick green fruit, and we offend sometimes. And God says there is white harvest already that you can pick. 
and you can rejoice and the person that sowed can rejoice. Did you know I know right now here in Hillcrest, we're building on a foundation at Hillcrest Baptist Church of people that have gone before us. There are people that have built and they've sown and they've sown and, and they've sown. Maybe the four months are up, maybe they're not. But let me tell you something, when we reap something, we don't need to think so much of ourselves because the reaper is just like the sower and they should rejoice together. Did you know when I go out and witness to someone, I don't know if they're going to get saved or not. I pray they do. And I have a training that kind of helps me help them. But I do it gently because I don't know what God's doing. And where they are in their, their, their walk with Christ or their, their learning of Christ. But what I want to say is this. I know it's urgent. I know there's urgencies there. I mean, there are people that are, that are dropping off the vines. They're falling to hell. Did you know people die every day? And you know a bunch of those folks go to hell. And so it's urgent, but I cannot. I've got to understand the sowing and reaping. And let me say, God says we all can rejoice together. Did you know God, Jesus rejoiced when those people from the city came out and heard him? He was rejoicing. Disciples still figuring out whose sandwich they bought. They're still trying to figure out that kind of stuff. And they had a need that they be taught. The world also has a need. They need us to have open eyes. They need us to have open hearts so we can rejoice. Psalm 126, 5 and 6 says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. That means that you're going to plant and you're going to harvest sometimes. And you rejoice when you do both. Did you know obedience, when it comes to sharing the gospel, is planting as much as harvesting? And I want to encourage you about that. that uh, so we got to have open eyes, open hearts, and an open effort. One sows, another reach. 1 Corinthians 3, 6-7 says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. I want it clear. That when we have people come down here and they've been led to Jesus some other place, maybe in the youth department or the children's department or out on the soul winning whenever we go out or whether it's in the, in the gap ministry or, or it's on uh, in our seniors ministry, wherever it is, when someone gets saved or in their services, it's because God gave the increase. And the more we let him have control, the more increase we'll have. I want to conclude this message real quick. First of all, when we sow and reap, there'll be some results. I love it. Look at verse 40. So when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them and he abode there two days. You know what's going to happen whenever we do our part of sowing and we do our part of reaping and God gets the increase and God's his focus. He's determined to be the Christ, the Savior of the world. When all that is discovered, first of all, people are going to want to spend time with Jesus. I've never understood why a person would get saved and then say, I don't want to come to church. I don't get that. I don't get that. Why don't you want to spend time? Well, I know you can spend time with Jesus at home, but let me tell you, Jesus' people meet right here. Why wouldn't you want to be there? Believers will want to spend time with Jesus. Look in verse 41. And many more believe because of his own word. Believers will attract more believers. I, I understand the, the principle of small churches. Please understand me. And I, I've, I've served in one. I, the first church my dad went to, there were eight people his first Sunday after he was voted in. Eight. Eight. There's seven in our family. 
That little church could hardly seat 100 people. We were on the side of a creek bank, had a concrete bridge coming over it. I had the smallest post office for that little McGee, Missouri community, I think, in the state of Missouri. Just a little bit on the, by the way, it was run by the store owners, Elsie and Effie Stevens. They were members of our church. But across the street, right across the road, just, I mean, I could hit the house with a rock with a guy that would not darken the doors. But let me tell you what happened. That eight people grew. It did. You know why? Because when believers, true believers, come together and talk about Jesus and preach Jesus. We had a Brother Ted Aguilar out of Oklahoma come and preach. We started out a, a week meeting. We used to have week-long revivals. Does everybody remember that, week-long? And at the end of the week, my dad said, well, Brother Ted and I have decided to extend it another week. And we were thinking, oh, Dad, come on. Another week of revivals. And guess what? I was a preacher's kid. I had to be there every night. Every night. I miss basketball practice for that. Not seriously. Let me tell you what happened. God blessed that. I believe a church can be small, don't get me wrong, but I think if the believers are doing what they should do, it will grow. It may grow small in that community, but it's going to grow. If it dies, shame on us. God doesn't want death in his church. And many more believe because of his word. So believers will attract more believers. And then number, verse 42, Jesus will have his rightful place. And said unto the woman, now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard it, heard him ourselves, and know that this indeed, this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. I hope that when you come here to Hillcrest every Sunday, you understand Jesus has his rightful place right here. And that you see Jesus to be the Savior of the world. Not just the world in general, but your world. He wants that today. Will you let him do it?